Well, we are continuing tonight in our First Wednesday Prayer Night series. We do a little series on First Wednesday Prayer Nights, little special topics and uh, series to be able to kind of center our hearts and minds around prayer and what God is doing and wants to do in the church and in our lives. And today we are continuing a study through Ephesians chapter 3. That uh, series is called Let Us Pray. And Ephesians chapter 3 is one of the most beautiful, powerful, and important prayers that's recorded in all of the New Testament. You know, you can really learn a lot about somebody when you listen to their prayers. And what we're doing in this series is we're listening to the Apostle Paul. He's writing this wonderful book of Ephesians that's all about finding our identity in Christ and what it means for us to be a church. And in the third chapter, in the middle of the book, he just pauses and he breaks out in a prayer. And as he's communicating his heart to the church, he prays, and then we get to see his heart for God. And what we're going to read in this chapter is not only what, what, what our heart to God looks like, but it's also what God's heart for us looks like as well. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. And I want to read it, and then I just want to give us a, a few thoughts of what it means to pray an effective prayer. The sermon title for tonight is The Essentials for Effective Prayer. How many of you want to be effective when it comes to your prayers? How many of you want to see answers to your prayers? How many of you want to see God move? How many of you want to touch the heart of the Father, experience the Spirit of God? How many of you want to walk away from your prayer time encouraged and strengthened and empowered? How many of you want to learn to pray effective prayers? Okay, he's going to teach us that here and what it means to pray effective prayers. So we'll just start in verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. What, what reason is it? Last week what we saw is the ABCs of prayer, and it was that we have access, that we can go to God at any moment, any time. He will welcome us, love us, he will care for us, and he will listen to the prayers because the blood of Jesus has given us access into the presence of God. And then we saw that it was boldness, that we can go to God boldly, that we don't have to be timid, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to feel disappointed, we don't have to dress up or gussy up or pretend when we go to pray. We can just go to God and tell him exactly what's on our heart as it is because we can pray boldly. You don't have to bend God's arm. You don't have to twist his arm. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to pray in King James English. I beseech it thee, heavenly father. You don't have to do that when you go and pray. You could just go pray to him boldly because you have access and then it says that we have confidence, that we know that our God is powerful. We know that our God is mighty. We know that our God is great. And we know that our God is good. And so we have confidence when we go pray. And so what he's building on is this idea that we can pray with access, that we can pray with boldness, and that we can pray with confidence. And that's the reason he says, for this reason, I pray. Because he knows who God is. When you know who God is, prayer is not going to be a hard thing to do. When you know who your father is, prayer is not going to be difficult for you to do. When you know who God is and how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, prayer is going to be something that you want to do. It's not going to be something that you have to do. And so he hears who God is and he says, for this reason, what? I bow my knees before the father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, and that according to his riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit of your inner being. 
So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, and here's the key verse for the text, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We love that last line. We love the line that says he is far more uh, able to do than we can ask or think. We, we love that verse. We pray that verse. We declare that verse. We quote that verse over ourselves, that God can do far more abundantly. How much more? He can do far more abundantly than we can ask or that we could think or imagine. I don't know about you, but I have a big imagination. And I have a lot of things that I think that go on through my brain every single day. And there's a lot of things that I could ask for. And what Paul is saying is this, is that God is able to do far more abundantly than what you can ask, than what you could think, and that what you can imagine. And we love that. But in order to get to verse 20, we have to start off in verse 14. We have to work our way because he's building up to this idea. There's this anticipation. There's this, there's this unction that he wants you to get to verse 20. But in order for you to get to verse 20, you have to understand verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And here's the devotional thought that's really just been guiding my thoughts throughout this week is this. Is that God wants more for you. That God wants more for us as a church. God wants more salvations. God wants more baptisms. God wants more people to get saved. Listen, God wants people to get saved more than we want them to get saved. For he desires that none shall perish, but that all shall have everlasting life. And so your friend, your brother, your sister, family member that you have been praying for and you are hoping and believing for, let me just tell you, God wants them to be saved more than you do. When it comes to the church, God wants more for the church than even what churches could even ask, think, or imagine for themselves. When it comes to your own personal lives, God wants more. God wants more for your relationships. God wants more for your children. God wants more for your vocation. God wants more for your education. God wants more for your GPA. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be, to be whole. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to flourish in each aspect of your life. God wants more for us. And here's the drawback from it is that we can only have as much of God as we want. So how much of God do you want? Because you can only have as much of God as you want. See, I used to think it this way. You can only, you can have as much of God as you want. And that was more of like a positive light. You can have as much of God as you want. So if you want God, go to him. But then this thought came into my head as I've been kind of wrestling through this idea of you can only, you can have as much of God. And then this, this word only came into my mind. Because there is a limit to what we can receive. And the truth is, we are that limit. And many times, our beliefs, our thoughts, our understandings of who God is, who we are, the reality that we live in, limit what we receive from God. 
And so my question for us is if we want to pray effective prayers, we have, to, we have to understand what those limitations are, and we have to understand who God is. And so that's what I want to do for us tonight is I just want to flesh and tease out this text a little bit and, and teach you what it means for us to pray effective prayers, to pray prayers that shake heavens and move mountains, to pray prayers that see, the, that see lives change, pray prayers that bring inner healing and peace inside of us, pray prayers that put protection over our children and change destinies and legacies forever, pray prayers that, that, that change generation lines. I want us to pray prayers that that pull heaven down to earth and pull the gold out of others. I want us to pray prayers that, that are powerful prayers. And so how, how do we do that? Let me just give you um, three essentials for us to pray effective prayers. And I'm gonna just give you a couple of words to, to hang your hat on. When it comes to praying effective prayers, the, the first thing we need to do is pray prayers with, with reverence. There needs to be a reverence when it comes to our prayers. Look what it says here. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What is he doing? He says, for this reason, access, boldness, confidence, because everything that I've received from the Lord, I now bow my knees before the Father. That, that word bow there, it's, it's very interesting because in, um, in the New Testament days, uh, the typical tradition of prayer was to stand. So they would stand while they, they prayed. That's why in the book of uh, Luke, whenever it talks about the, the publicans, not the republicans, but the publicans, as they were praying, it says they were, they were standing. Because the, the proper posture of that day was to, to stand while you pray. But there's other different ways in which you could pray. The Bible talks about people who are sitting down while they're praying, while they're walking, while they're praying. Some people are laying flat on their belly as they pray. I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, he was slain in the spirit like he's at a Benny Hinge, like, you know, <laughs> he was just knocked out on the back and, and he was just, oh, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he would cry out, holy, holy, and he fell down flat as if he was dead. So there's different ways in which people pray, but the standard way that they prayed then was to, to stand up. And what Paul is doing here is Paul is actually bowing his knee and he is in a, in a posture of humility. He is in a posture of, of, of reverence. And I, I just want to Talk to us today about, about this idea of reverence when we pray. You know, God is a father, which that's our second point. We're going to discuss that. But at the same time, as we go to God, we also need to recognize that he is also a king, that he is also a judge, that he is also a creator, and that he is also God. That he is the creator of everything in this universe, Colossians says, by him, to him, for him, through him, all things were created, and in him they have their being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything within it, and he is before time even began. And this is this creator God who paints the gold on the horizons, who comes up with galaxies and stars, who digs the mountains out with his hands, carves out the valleys. This is the God who causes the Marianas Trench and the Mount Everest, and he is bigger and deeper and greater, and his love is wider than all of those things. And there's this great, magnanimous, huge, glorious God. And yet, when we pray, we go and we speak to him. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon or on a mountaintop, or have you ever gone camping somewhere? Me and Ashley, for our anniversary, we, we would go out to 
uh, Enchanted Rock in, in, in West Texas, Fredericksburg area, and we would climb up to the top of Enchanted Rock, and at the top of the rock, you would overlook, and as you climb, 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 you get there, and you look over the edge, and it's a little terrifying, because you recognize that this is so much bigger than me, but at the same time, it's very beautiful, and it's very peaceful, and that's what we experience when we go to God in prayer. It's because we, re- we recognize that prayer is something bigger than us, but at the same time, it's something so intimate and so beautiful that there, there should be a reverence when it, when it comes to how we, how we pray. I just want you to kind of think about it. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee. Now, some people, they'll get hung up on that. Like, when I pray, do I have to get on my knees? I mean, you can if you want, but the idea here is that prayer is less about the posture of your body, and it's more about the posture of your heart. So God doesn't care if you're praying in the car. God doesn't care if you're praying in the shower. God doesn't care if you're praying while you're going for a walk, while you're praying while you're changing the diaper or doing the dishes, because there's glory in those ordinary things. And so wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you have the ability to go to God in prayer, to climb that mountain of his majesty, and to behold his beauty. You can do any of those things in prayer, but it happens when there is a posturing of your heart to be able to receive from him. There's a a reverence when it comes to our prayers. For this reason, I bow my knee. So prayer is less about the posture of your body, but it's more about the posture of your heart. The second thing we see is this. First, we see there is a reverence. The second thing we notice is there is a relationship. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee to what? Before the Father. Now, some of us have a hard time with that word because, well, we haven't had good dads. I think 40-something percent of children today have grown up without a a father present in their home. I know I was raised uh, without a father. I was adopted by my grandparents. I, I met my father twice in my entire lifetime. I know many of you, you have a very similar story to that. Martin Luther, the great reformer in his journals, he says, whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer, our father, I struggle to say that word father because my dad was such a harsh man. And many of us, what we do is we, we take the failures of our earthly father and then we project that onto our heavenly father. And that's one of those limiting beliefs that keep us from being able to receive from God. Because we don't think that God is good. We don't think that God is safe. We don't think that God is welcoming. We think that God may be busy or far off or detached or maybe he's a deadbeat heavenly father and he created the universe and he left us alone. And so we have more of a deistic worldview rather than a Christian worldview because we don't understand the heart of the father. In the book of 1 John, when John's writing about the, the love of God, he says, oh, behold the love of the father. That word behold there means get a load of this. You're not going to believe this. This is so amazing. Behold. God is a father who loves us. And think about it. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, those first words were our father. The disciples recognized that the power of Jesus' life and ministry wasn't found in his miracles, wasn't found in the signs and wonders, wasn't found in his ability to preach a sermon. It wasn't found in his ability to, to, to raise the dead. His, his power wasn't found in his intelligence, even though all of those things were true. What they recognized that they needed from the life and ministry of Jesus, the one thing they asked was, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And here's what he says. He says, 
I love that question. Let me show you. When you pray, pray like this, our, our Father. I want you to understand that God is a Father and that he loves you with the love and the affection of the Father. John Owen, he's an, a Puritan uh, author. What, what he writes is this. He writes, apart from the love of the Father, any other characteristic of God will cause your heart to fly away. So what does that mean? It means that if you try to understand the justice of God without understanding the heart of the Father, then you're not going to be able to understand the justice of God. If you want to try to understand the grace of God apart from the heart of the Father, then that idea of grace is going to harden your heart and cause it to fly away because you don't understand the love of God as a father. You got to start here that God is a father that loves you with the affection that a father has for his kids. Now listen, I love my daughters. The best thing in the world is when I come home from a long day of work and Esther and, and Ruth, they run to me at the door and they go, daddy, 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 daddy. And it's like a fight to see who can get the first hug. And, and, and Ruth comes running in and she's not even two yet. She'll come run around the corner and Esther will be like, and push her down and come and give me a big old hug. And, and, and as a dad, I have to do this. I have to pick them both up now. And like, as you parents, you remember, remember those days when you could actually pick both of your kids up? Right, I'm looking at you guys. Like, remember when you could actually pick both of your kids up? There's your kids right there. They're like, uh. uh and so, uh, and I pick them both up. And you know what? My heart is so, so pleased. My heart is just so happy to be able to do that. And that's what God's like when you run to him that God just loves to be in the presence. And when my kids come to me, they, they ask me for all sorts of things. And I don't even pay attention to what they ask me. They're like, Daddy, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? And I look at Mom, I'm like, can they get that? I don't even know what they asked for. She's like, I don't know. Um, but listen, that's how much I love my, my kids. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that my love for my daughters is more pure than God's love for his kids? If me, this is what Jesus says teaching over prayer, if you who are sinful parents, still love your kids, how much more does your heavenly father love us? And so we have to understand this with prayer. This, this beautiful picture is that God is a, is, is a father. And then it says this. He says, with every family has this name. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you received the name of God? Just like a child who is adopted receives the last name of the new parents, the moment you became a Christian, you received the name of God marked. Your last name now is Christian. That you've been adopted by the Lord Jesus through his death, burial, resurrection, his sacrificial blood in your place, and you have been brought in now to the family of God. And the Lord Jesus serves as our spiritual big brother, the firstborn of creation. And then Jesus, he, he grafts us into the love of the Father, and now we become part of God's family. That's how loving and kind God is. And when people pray, if you don't grasp this, the problem is, is you're gonna go to God and then you're gonna make demands and accusations and you're gonna make lists. And you're gonna say, you're gonna say God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And many people struggle with prayer because they don't understand God as a father. Instead, they treat God as like a genie. Like he's a genie like, that exists to grant your wishes. And then when your wishes don't get granted, you get frustrated and you get angry and you begin to blame God. But listen, I wanna explain something to you. God is not a genie that grants wishes, but he is a father who answers prayers. He, he's not just a, a genie that exists to do whatever you want, but he is a father 
who loves and enjoys our presence. And so he says, for this reason, I I bow my knees. There is a reverence that he has, but at the same time, there is a relationship that he has. And because of this reverence and because of this relationship, now we have the ability to receive God's resources. Listen to what he says here. He says, first reverence, first, second relationship. And then lastly, he says this in resources, that according to his riches, your father is rich. <laughs> right? you, you may not be rich, and that's okay. <laughs> but, but, your, but your father in heaven, he's rich. You know how rich he is? They have streets paved with gold. Seriously. I mean, they're looking around. They're like, hey, what are we going to do with all this gold? And Jesus is like, I don't know. Let's turn it into a sidewalk. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how rich. I mean, there's seas made of crystal, mansions, gates of pearl. There ain't running out of any resources in heaven. <laughs> he is an inexhaustible well of resources. And here's what it says. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here's one of the things that I I love so much about this idea that Paul is communicating here is that God will never run out of blessings for us. God will never run out of the ability to be able to answer prayers. God will never run out of the ability to listen to your prayers. God will never run out of the ability to be able to move on your behalf. I mean, it's not like when you pray, then you get like the 1-800 line and like an angel picks it up and they're like, welcome to the heaven hotline. What can I do for you? You're caller number 5 billion today. Sorry, I wish I could answer that prayer and I wish I could help you, but you're going to have to call back tomorrow. Office opens at 6. Best of luck. Okay, God, God doesn't answer prayer like, you know, Time Warner answers your call and puts you on hold, right? That's not how God answers prayer because God never runs out of resources. God is an inexhaustible source of time because he exists outside of time. God is an inexhaustible source of energy because he always has energy. God is an inexhaustible source of emotional stability because he is happy and satisfied inside of himself and his happiness is not dependent on you and so he is overwhelming with joy. This is why it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not that your joy is your strength. It's that God gives joy, which gives you strength because he is an inexhaustible well of emotion, of love, of kindness, of compassion, of resources. And he's never going to run out of resources, which means we can always run to him. Because he's never going to run out which means any time, any place, anywhere, anything that you're going through, you can take it to him in prayer because he's never gonna run out of anything. That means we can run to him for everything. And so if you're here tonight, whatever you're going through, I'm telling you, take it to him in prayer. Whatever you're struggling with, I'm telling you, take it to him in prayer. Whatever your need is, whether your need is for physical healing, take it to him in prayer. Whether your need is for something to do with your marriage or something to do with a relationship, take it to him in prayer. If you're going through a divorce right now, don't go through it alone. Take it to the Lord in prayer. If you're going through a situation, financial, relational, physical, if you're going through something, don't go through it alone. Instead, 
bring it to God. Bring it to your Father who loves you. Bring it to your Father who cares for you. Bring it to the creator, the author, and the finisher of our lives. Bring it to the one who made mountains and painted gold on the horizons, hung stars into the sky. Take your problems to him. Bring those burdens to him. Lay them down at his feet, and he will listen to you, care for you, and he will move on your behalf. I'm going to call the prayer, the, the prayer team up front, and we're going to call the worship team to come and, and play for us. If the, the prayer team will come up, we're going to open our altars. But I just want to close with this, this thought, is that we can only have as much of God as we want. Just think about that. You can have as much of God as you want, but at the same time, The only limit to what you see in life is your prayer life.